Sometimes I hate to interrupt the fellowship, and other times I think if we get our study in, we'll have a longer break and you can resume it afterwards. Uh, again, in the equip hour and in our morning service, we're tackling a theme uh, built on this idea of commitment. And this morning, it's the idea of committing financially to kingdom work. Obviously, most often we think of that being offerings to the church, uh, maybe some charitable giving along the way, maybe using our funds to help people out in their time of need. All of these things are this idea of our financial commitment. Uh, it's usually one of the commitment topics that people bristle about, perhaps because it's, it's been addressed so poorly over the years. Uh, so we, if we're biblical about addressing it, then it's not being addressed poorly. Uh, but if, if we try to drum up more and more money and start twisting arms and trying to put weight or guilt on people, we're immediately out of the bounds of the New Testament teaching on giving. And so in the equip hour, I want us to kind of step back and ask some questions about how did this whole giving idea begin? And then we'll kind of take a, just an approach of at, a look at cheerful giving in the morning sermon. I want to Ask the questions, what is the tithe, and are we obligated to give it, all right? So I want us to think of this idea of tithing. Uh, maybe, in your mind, it's a broad word synonymous with giving, or any offering, uh, any contribution of money to, to the church. Um, we should probably get a little more technical than that, so let's step back and uh, get some ideas on the table about what is tithing, and then once we've looked at that, we'll we'll figure out if we're supposed to be doing this or not. All right, what do you what do you know of tithing? What's the word mean? Let's start there. Tenth, a ten a portion. So a tithe is a tenth. It's that percentage of the whole. Where is that in the Old Testament? How do we know anything about tithing? Okay, so before even law, there was the concept of making a, a gift that was measurable somehow against all that they had. And so Abraham giving to Melchizedek is in some way, an example of a tithe, except we're confused if we think, well, there's, the, there's where it was established. No, it was probably part of the culture already in sacrifices, uh, not even to God himself. Uh, and with Abraham, it seems like it's a one-time thing. So, you know, if the church wants to tell you to tithe, say, I did it, just like Abraham. It was way back in... 79, I think, I, I made a tithe. Uh, all right, but it's there. We see something and we see that, even that word in our Old Testament Bible, the tithe, we realize, okay, there was somehow, Abraham had all this stuff and he said, you know what, I, I, I want to give some of this to you. And obviously we'll see that echoed in the New Testament, that same story. All right, so Abraham and Melchizedek, what else? Okay, so then we... Jump to the prophet Malachi. Uh, we'll, we'll consider briefly just that little snippet 
in the, the sermon. Uh, there the Jews have returned from Babylonian captivity, rebuilding their houses, and Malachi the prophet comes in and says, hey, uh, God's brought you back to the land and giving you this stuff, and, and you're just spending it all on yourselves. Uh, and the temple still lies in ruins, so we need to fix that. And he mentions their tithes and offerings and tells them, hey, bring those. Uh, otherwise, you know, hoarding them to yourselves really doesn't work. And he gives analogies like you're putting it into a, a bag with holes in it. You get home and you can't, where'd my money go? Well, that's the nature of indulging only in selfish ends. What else? So the theme of first fruits in the scriptures, uh, it's generally the beginning place of our giving. Um, There's more emphasis on first fruits or giving of the first of what you have um, than there is of any other portion. You're not going to find, you know, hey, if you have anything left over, give it. It's, no, give this first. And so the first fruits comes from you know, whether you had your olive grove and that first harvest that you had of those olives, you'd think, oh, we, we need to save this because this would be our security. It was like, no, even the first fruits that come, you give because it's not like you owe it to God or, you know, this is some just random idea. The idea was you think you need this, but you worship with that. And the worship isn't God needs your olives, you know. <laughs> The psalmist tells us he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I think we could assume the olive trees on a thousand hills as well. He doesn't need your olives. He needs you to trust that he can provide for you, that whatever else comes in in the harvest will be sufficient. And if it's not, he'll, he'll still take care of you. So sometimes we think somehow the, the gift we bring is so significant to God, but it's really the heart saying, you give me everything I need. So... Give me this day daily bread. Um, But my faith will be evidence in the fact that I can do what you said and give first, knowing that I'm going to be okay. God's going to take care of me. So first fruits is important. We'll see it in uh, the Old Testament. We'll see it in in the wisdom of Proverbs. Uh, And then the whole language in the New Testament. We see a lot of first fruits language, uh, even in dealing with the work of Christ, the resurrection, uh, so that that theme's important in our giving. Right, it all came from the Lord. So, what else? Where else do we find specifically information about tithes, Daniel? Yeah, you, you get to the Old Testament law, and now, so God takes this family. It's gotten pretty big, the descendants of Jacob. Um, he takes them out of Egypt, leads them into the wilderness, and they meet God at Mount Sinai, uh, and he establishes this covenant with them. He will be their God. They will be his people, and he orders that authority, that society under his rule with the law. 
and so we have all the laws given to them, and once they receive those laws, animals are sacrificed, blood is sprinkled on the tablets of stone and on the people. Not every one of them, but ceremonially, some of them are sprinkled with this blood as the seal of this covenant. Um, so the covenant is built on these laws that govern how this relationship is going to work. And in there, we find these offerings and tithes that are commanded. Now, uh, we'll separate tithes and offerings in the Old Testament because they're described differently. We could read of the burnt offering, a grain offering, a peace offering, sin and trespass offering. So generally five categories of offerings. And then there's another category of giving that are referred to as the tithes. Now, you can, you can as Daniel mentioned, you, you start getting into the Old Testament analysis of the language of tithes, and sometimes it'll be mentioned here in Leviticus. Deuteronomy might reinforce it, and you, and you start putting them all together, and you don't find, uh, historically, a consensus on what this number really is. Um, Different passages talk about it differently. Now, obviously, a tithe is 10%. So when you take the three kind of major Levitical passages on tithe or Old Testament passages, including Deuteronomy, it it could appear that there's a 10% tithe here, a 10% tithe here. And then there's another passage that calls the third year the year of the tithe. And so some scholars will say, well, that's the third tithe, but it's every... It's, it's every three years, so if you break that down over three years, really, annually, you're giving 10, 20, and then three and a third, so maybe 23% a year. Others would say, no, maybe this is all talking about the same thing. There's the five offerings, and there's this tithe. Maybe it was every three years, and yet you still had to do stuff locally and then nationally at Jerusalem. There's, there's question But at the very minimal uh, level of understanding, we realized there were five offerings that cost you out of your first fruits, out of your herds, out of your produce. And there were these tithes that were given. And specifically, we're told in the law, they were given to support the priesthood. Because you remember when those tribes of the family of Jacob go into the promised land, they all have their inheritance, their portion of the land, which they would live off. But the Levites didn't get a portion. They were supposed to kind of be this perpetual example of the Lord will be their portion. He's going to take care of them even when they can't see it because every other tribe could go and dig up their land and plant a crop and have a harvest and they could feel like, okay, this is how we're going to make it. And the Levites had to just rest on God's promise that he would provide for them. So they were this perpetual living example of God's provision. He would be their inheritance, and he supplied for them through the tenth, the tithes that were given from produce, harvest, and herds. It was their inheritance. Numbers 18 would add to Leviticus 27 in telling us that not only would the Levites be fed, out of that tithe, but it would also be used by the Levites and by the individual families to care for those in need, specifically mentioned the widows, the orphans, and strangers or foreigners. 
those who had believed and had kind of come into the family of Israel, even though they were maybe Canaanites, maybe some of the Egyptians that came out with them, um, but maybe they weren't established yet or didn't have an inheritance yet. They weren't kind of brought into some of the tribal families, so they would be cared for. Um, So the Levites were cared for, orphans and widows, um, and Deuteronomy 12 and Deuteronomy 26 both mention this kind of seasonal event where oftentimes the celebration would be, in the language of the law, at the place where God put his name or where he said to gather. Eventually that would become Jerusalem and the temple. And so the Jews would make the annual trips there for certain feasts. In that language of the tithe, there were other stipulations like maybe it's too much of a burden for you to take a tenth of your produce and a tenth of your herds and get them all to Jerusalem so you could convert it to a cash gift, basically. But you'd have to round up to a fifth, and you could take that and simply give the funds there. Other times, they're told, before there was Jerusalem as the established place of God's name, Um, that if it was too far to go, you could go a certain distance and then kind of partake and enjoy a feast of the first fruits. And some of it was a celebration where you with the Levites would partake of all this stuff. So there's these different little kind of side trails you can take and think like, okay, so where does that fit in uh, to this giving of offerings and tithes? And No matter where we read, Leviticus 27, Numbers 18, Deuteronomy 12, Deuteronomy 26, and a couple other places, you realize these people were giving more than 10% of their income every year in offerings and in what we call tithes. So, Old Testament clearly lays out tithes and offerings, more than 10%, maybe it's in the 20s, uh, maybe not. But why really wring our hands too much about it uh, unless we want to be Old Testament scholars, which some are, and you may choose to be. Um, But the data there is sufficient to tell us what happened, uh, and we have a general idea. um, But I, I just wouldn't dispute a whole lot the actual number. Just know a tithe was a given, And then you've got five other offerings that include sacrifices of stuff that you have, that you worked hard for, out of the land or out of your herds, and you're giving that as well. Um, That's the Old Testament picture of giving. Uh, And it's built on those two main pillars. One, John has already mentioned, it all belongs to the Lord anyway. Um, and, And whatever I have is because he's given it. They knew famine and thirst in the wilderness and saw God provide it miraculously, they get to the promised land, and God said, here's your inheritance, and he doesn't need to fly birds in knee deep. Uh, And he he doesn't need to put cinnamon rolls on the ground in the form of manna. He, He says, no, I've given you an inheritance. And it also shows us that work isn't a bad thing. God can provide miraculously if he needs to, but sometimes he gives us a piece of land and says, go plant a crop. And if you don't work, you don't eat. Um, So all that's tucked away there in the Old Testament showing us, yes, God provides it all, but sometimes he provides us with 
a healthy body that can burn calories and get the work done. Um, so the Old Testament is laying out these principles, but the first is God owns it all. Um, and what you have and what you measure in your bank accounts or whatever, is, is God prospering you um, out of his kindness and sometimes in his economy that he's designed that diligence, as proverb call, Proverbs calls it, is the way to having. Um, now we know, yes, it's from God, but God's plan generally is to exercise wisdom and to be a diligent worker who uh, sees a harvest. The other principle is gratitude for God's provision. God wanted his people uh, to be thankful um, for what he provides for them. So giving a tenth of their produce or of their herds, um, you know, you read the Old Testament law and some of it was every tenth animal that passed through the gates. It wasn't even the first fruits, but in this case, it was numbering every tenth. And then if it was the best of them, you're not supposed to wring your hands and be like, oh, God got one of the good ones. Um, and if it was a, a, a lame, crippled one walking through, every tenth one, it was just that reminder that we don't have to calculate, we don't have to stew about giving what God asks for. It's okay. Um, he wants us to trust him and be thankful for whatever he gives us. And there's plenty of examples of Old Testament saints that, that gave their tenth and they had a mountain of stuff still. Um, God had prospered them and was expecting them to help care for a lot of people. You think of Abraham that was mentioned earlier. Uh, you know, when he went to rescue Lot, he basically just, you know, rang the dinner bell and called his servants and, you know, a hundred of them or a couple hundred, I forget the number, show up. And, and so he was obviously sitting on a small, you know, empire, um, that's God's business. God will distribute the talents, according to the parable of the New Testament, or his wealth and his giftings as he sees fit, uh, and he just wants us to, to receive it with gratitude and use it for his purpose. So there's the Old Testament kind of introduction to both offerings and tithes, and they are built into the law that God gives. Um, it's, it's the way he established it, and we should add that in Deuteronomy 16 and elsewhere, there, there is another offering added on to tithes and offerings, and it's called the free will offering, where you didn't have to have a cause. There wasn't a known sin, the sin offering. There wasn't uh, an, an unintentional or a sin or a sin I'm unaware of, the trespass offering. Uh, it wasn't the grain offering or the burnt offering reminding us of the atonement. It was just a free will offering. Just, I feel thankful today, so I'm going to give a little more to somebody. Uh, it was just that reminder that it's not all just structured, built into the law. God was aiming for the heart. In trusting him by faith, that's heart. In being thankful, that's heart. And even though the law required it to be reminding us that freedom of worship was always present. It wasn't just a transaction. God said, do this, and I slap it down and turn around and walk away thinking, well, I hope there's still a lot of crop left for me. No, it was supposed to be a heart that says, thank you, I trust you. 
Um, you're faithful. You provide. Our parents told us the stories of the wilderness, how you did it, and we're seeing it now. Um, God was aiming for the heart. All right. So, we, we kind of know something of what the tithe is, and now let's get to the second part of the question. Uh, if, if we see the tithe there, Abraham, we see it in the law. Uh, post-exile, they return, and Malachi is still beating the drum for, hey, bring your tithes and offerings. We're sitting here as what we call the New Testament church, and we're hearing a Sunday school lesson a sermon on giving financially to the church. Should you feel, as a believer, obligated to give a tithe? All right, that's the second question. What is the tithe, and are we obligated to give it? So that's what we need to wrestle with now. So we're going to add on to what we've looked at the Old Testament, some of these scriptures, examples, uh, and now let's begin thinking Biblical theology, we're working our way all the way through, seeing how this unfolds. Um, So what unfolds in the New Testament about either tithes or offerings, our giving? What do we find there? Yeah, Daniel? So Matthew 23, uh, Luke 11 is a parallel passage, and I think Daniel quoted most of it, so you've heard it. And Jesus uses that word weightier, because that fits well. Uh, He's he's not saying something is unimportant, you don't have to do it. He's just saying this one has more moral weight to it, and yet he's, he's, he's critiquing their approach to saying, well, we do this, and we tithe of every little bit of herb that grows in our gardens. And Jesus is saying, yeah, and you neglect your parents, and you, you neglect weightier matters of the law, uh, but you're boasting on this. He says, you should have done that too. That, that's fine, but you need to do the weightier matters as well. But he, he acknowledges their language of tithe, and, and he doesn't say, oh, you don't have to do that anymore. He just says, you should have done both, but you're neglecting one. Get, give attention to that. So we do have that passage right there, and it falls literate, as our Bible is a book of literature, it falls in our category of New Testament. We'll have to think that through a little more, um, but that might be the first mention of tithe, perhaps. What else in the New Testament? Tithes or offerings? Do you know where that, uh, the reference you're thinking? There's a lot of language of sacrifice, for sure, that builds the sweet-smelling savor, um, building on the Old Testament sweet-smelling savor of incense that was offered morning and evening. What else as far as instruction on tithes, offerings, giving? Most of us have been around 
the obligation of giving in the church for a long time. Uh, so what are we building that on? Let's go Aaron and Paul. Okay, uh, Acts 2 and probably a few other, and going into 4 at least with Ananias and Sapphira, we see this uh, persecution of the church by the religious leaders. So people are losing jobs, not receiving inheritance, um, kicked off the family property. Uh, and so some of the believers are selling what they have and kind of providing for the common good, not socialism, not some kind of Marxist idea, but literally just loving their brothers and trusting in that unique crisis that God would provide for them and we'll be all right. Uh, they were doing as God had prompted them to do. Of course, Ananias and Sapphira see it and think, oh yeah, we want the accolades of being all sacrificial. And so they said, we gave it all. And no sooner had they said it that they're, you know, carried out the back door uh, God struck them dead because he was communicating clearly something about, okay, this, this giving can't become a badge of honor to you. Jesus had already told us, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Um, this is not a boasting realm. Uh, this, is, this is worship. So the selling for the common good uh, is definitely in there to remind us of what generous giving looks like. Paul, what are you thinking? Yeah, so Philippians 4 has some of the, 3 and 4, the second part of your statement there. Uh, it's probably Romans and 1 Corinthians. I think we have the mention of like Macedonia and Achaia, uh, rounding up offerings. 1 Corinthians probably 16 is when Paul is saying, you know, on the first day of the week, when you gather, set aside a little bit so that when I come, we can get that back to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is that hotbed of persecution that's where the big need was, and God was using his church to, to give. What else? Any other mention of tithe you can think of? There's an account of two men that are contrasted. Do you remember why one of them would have mentioned tithing? Two men went up into the temple to pray. One was what? Publican, tax collector. The other's a Pharisee. Pharisee's praying this, you know, impressive prayer of merit. Lord, look at all these things I've done for you. You know, I, I have fixed meals for the family, you know, whose mom was in the hospital. I have shoveled snow for my elderly neighbor. I've done all these things. Actually, he says, I've tithed of all that I possess. And uh, he's, he's listing all of his virtues. And that's contrasted with the publican, who couldn't even lift his eyes to heaven and is like beating himself, not as some kind of weird penance, but just in this, in this utter frustration and humility of just being completely empty-handed before God. Um, 
And so what we see there is just the mention of the tithe, but people often say, well, no, the tithe's in the New Testament. It's, you know, Matthew 23, you, know, you should have done this. It's, you know, here is this public or this Pharisee referencing his righteous works. And though it was self-righteous in its expression, it was still the law and a righteous work. Um, the only other mention of the tithe is in Hebrews 7, where Christ is being unfolded for us as the better high priest than Melchizedek. But in that discussion is the first account Daniel brought up of Abraham giving tithes to Melchizedek. So we have Matthew 23, parallel passage in Luke. We have Luke 18, the Pharisee and tax collector. And we have Hebrews 7 as the three mentions of the word tithe. Um, So, the next question is then, is, is the tithe the normative standard for New Testament giving? Okay, how would we answer that question? Is the tithe the New Testament standard for our giving? Daniel, you want to take a stab at that? So these, these passages where Paul would argue for supporting those in ministry, and he said, for even the law says, you know, don't muzzle the ox that treads out the grain. You know, let him take a few mouthfuls and, as he's working. Um, and, and, he, and he's just building on Old Testament principles of giving and generosity and recognizing work and, and reward, diligence and harvest. So at the very least, we're establishing a principle that helps us answer this question, is the tithe the normative way of giving in the New Testament? And the principle is, it's one of interpretation, that yes, the Old Testament certainly informs New Testament giving. What's there is instructive in the sense of we learn something about how God thinks of giving. Um, So the Old Testament informs New Testament giving, but we are relying on the New Testament to demonstrate to us the definition of New Testament giving. So we're we're trying to get there still, so let's, let's build some more. Should we look at Leviticus, this is kind of the root of the matter, and see the tithe and say, oh, I have to do that because it's commanded in the law. What do you do then? What do you think? Like, did you feel compelled coming to church this morning that, man, the law tells me I'm supposed to give a tithe? Yeah, the whole row here, the committee.
Patty, is that a sufficient answer? Or <laughs> Perfect. You taught her well. <laughs> Good. So we've introduced this theme of not under law, but under grace, right? We, we've heard that before. Um, it, it usually needs to be fleshed out a little because we're certainly under law. The New Testament will refer to the law of liberty, law of Christ, law of love. There, there's, there's governance. There's still moral oughtness to the Christian life. Um, but in this realm of giving, we're, we're thinking, now, wait a minute. Uh, does the law, as it unfolded to the Israelites through the Mosaic law and the covenant, is that binding on us today as believers? And what we are helped by is the book of Hebrews, which was written to people who had lived under the covenant of Moses, right? And they're struggling with figuring out what it means to to give, not as because it was exacted of them, the law demanded it, but to give cheerfully and not because of any compulsion. And, and, And... Frankly, there's security in the law. Like, I, I know what I have to do according to Moses, and yet you're telling me to be governed by love or liberty I have in Christ or by Christ himself. And so that book of Hebrews is helping them understand that was all good, but this is better. And it tells us in that unfolding of Christ as the better priest than Melchizedek, it's a better priesthood, that he it comes with a better covenant. And if we're going to change the priesthood in this new covenant, the language of Hebrews is it necessitates a new law. In other words, there's got to be a new description of the rules. There needs to be a new telling of what exactly am I supposed to do? Because the old covenant with its old priests that administered it had guidelines by which to administer that. But if the old had been exactly perfect, as the new is, it would have stayed in place. But instead, Hebrews says, it's it's fading away. It's, It's wearing out like a garment, and it's being replaced with a new and better covenant. So we should feel some freedom to look at the Old Testament principles and laws, even of giving, and say, that needs to inform the new, because... Christ did say, in helping us think through, how do we get from old to new? That he didn't come to just do away with the old. It was worthless. Ah, that was a bad idea. Let's do something different. No, all of that was foundational to show us, ultimately, Christ is better. This is what you need. Um, So he says, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. So it's satisfied. It's completed. It demanded, it demanded, it demanded, and Christ fed it to the full in every way. So now we come to this new covenant that's been established. And remember, it's not unlike the old. Jeremiah said, though, instead of the law being written on stone and Moses bringing it down from the mountain, God said, I'm going to write it on your hearts. And while you won't sacrifice oxen and sheep and lambs and then stand there and and watch blood being sprinkled on the tablets of stone and on the people, it's pretty clear from Hebrews that the blood of Jesus Christ is sprinkled on us so that we have entered into a covenant. Not all that unlike that 
you know, pretty kind of almost gross picture for a lot of us that aren't, you know, farm people, sacrifice or slaughtering animals. It's just not that different. It's just that Christ came and didn't build an earthly tabernacle. He, he said, I'm establishing a heavenly tabernacle through his flesh. And his blood is sprinkled on an altar in, in heaven, but it's, it's on us. And we're entering this covenant. It's a new covenant with new laws, a new priesthood, a new and better sacrifice. So we are living in a different covenant not to the shame and disgrace of the old, to the fulfillment of the old, which informs us now in trying to understand this, this freedom to give cheerfully, to give as we're led by the Spirit, to give from the heart, which is also an Old Testament principle. Um, but what we're finding is this is really a, a question of wrestling with how do we get from the law of Moses in the old covenant to the new covenant that is found in Jesus Christ. And, and all the interpretive matters of getting from one to the other um, are going to inform kind of this little tangent we're on about, oh yeah, what about giving? Because we all know we should give. The New Testament's really clear on that. Generosity and love and, and sharing. And 1 John 3, it's that characteristic. If you see your brother in need and have funds to give it and, and you don't, well, we're right to ask, how dwells the love of God in you uh, if you're not a generous, caring person? Um, so the New Testament is full of admonitions of giving, but I think, I think we, we maybe haven't been careful, and I say we, just in our own minds and thinking about, what am I going to give? Put in the box back there, or pass, you know, when the offering plate was passed. You know, what am I going to give? And we found it easier somehow to to have a standard, that percentage, the tithe, and even then found ways to justify why we weren't going to measure up to that amount sometimes, probably, uh, instead of realizing, wait a minute, that the tithes and offerings were probably more than 10% anyway. Well, they certainly were. That should inform my giving. But in the New Testament, it's pretty clear. Um, we're zeroing in on the heart. And the law... The law of tithe and offering isn't on a table of stone where we can all go and agree to exactly what it says. It's written on our hearts. And so figure out what's there, right? Not because it's necessarily, you know, some wide gap and everybody sees it differently. No, we're all informed by the same words in the New Testament of generosity and hospitality and helping those in need. And so... Now, like so many other areas of life where we make decisions, we're not left alone. We're not without guidelines. So much of the transition to old and new, we're told we in the New Testament church are going to have it so much better than the Old Testament saints. Jesus would tell the people that he walked with that it's going to be better for those Later than those now, greater things are going to be done. It's going to be, it's going to be better and easier for them later because we're going to have the Word of God right there showing us what to do and the Holy Spirit in us guiding us into all truth. So we can think, oh, it sure was easy when they knew exactly what to give. No, it's kind of the opposite. 
Sure is easy when I have God the Holy Spirit living in me to help me know whether I should give to that homeless person or not, or how much I should put in the offering box, or when they say they want to renovate a gymnasium, how much I should give. Don't overcomplicate this. Like, ask the Spirit of God to help you know how to give and, and find freedom in that because of what both Old and New Testament say. I can trust God. He provides for me. If he asks me to give, I might think, well, that's going to put a dent in the budget that month or something. Okay, well, see what God wants to do with a dent in the budget. Maybe it's because the budget's kind of swelled into, you know, a little bit of fatness and, and could use some trimming. We're, we're indulging a little too much in ourselves. Maybe that's not the case at all. Um, but we can trust God. He's going to take care of us. So all the principles of old will inform our giving in the new, but I don't think we need to look to the law of Moses and say, I have to tithe because it says here in Leviticus, do this, when nowhere in the New Testament are we told to give a percentage uh, measured by a tenth. What is in the New Testament is proportional giving. So, Probably the King James and Old King James, or New King James. King James is the Old King James. Well, one of the Old King Jameses, uh, as they were translated over the years. Um, they say in Corinthians, you know, let each man give as God has prospered him. Uh, a couple of the new translations, because God isn't there, it's just he. We'll just translate it he. So it'll say like, as he has prospered. But it's the same idea because whether it's God prospering or he being any of us have prospered, where does that come from? Well, that comes from God. So the translations are, are fair either way. And what it's telling us is based on how we prosper or gain, I give. Well, that's proportional language. Um, elsewhere in receiving the gifts from some of the people... Uh, I'm losing, I don't remember the reference, uh, but it says they gave according to their means, which means you, you, you look at what you have, and I calculate, well, according to what I have, I can give this. It, it's not saying they gave everything. It says according to their means, how it was proportioned, well, I need this to live on, and I'm need this for taking care of my elderly parents, as Jesus told them to do, and I need this for... My op well, I can give this to the church at Jerusalem. And then it's interesting, it adds on to that and above their means. So now we see there's two kinds of giving. And we'll finish with this reminding everybody in the morning service. We give proportionally as the Lord instructs us to. As I prosper, recognize that's of God, great. I have more for feeding the family. I have more to save a little in wisdom for the future. I have more for a little extended Sabbath break and take a vacation. And I should have more to give to those in need or give it to the church and let them apply it to need. Uh, as God has prospered me, I give proportionally. So that's according to my means. And if I give above my means, that's because I'm giving sacrificially as God leads. 
But sacrificial giving doesn't seem to be a, a clear imperative that I always have to be giving to the point of what looks like harming my condition, my budget, my planning. Let sacrificial giving be, hey, as the Lord leads, it may be a sacrifice that means I need to do some rearranging of my means because that's above and beyond what would be a normal proportional gift. But as God does that to you, you, you see a family in need um, and you're giving to help them get into the, an apartment or something or they need a stove or you, know, you help them get a car. Well, that could put a dent in what you would normally be giving. But if God asks you to give sacrificially, you'd best listen and do that. But just know that's not the norm. The norm is God understands as I have prospered you, he says, I would expect you to be giving out of that amount, which is Old Testament tithe and offering or it's New Testament as God has prospered you. Um, In essence, we think this was law and this is grace. Oh, this was burden and this was freedom. But what we're going to see in our passage in the morning sermon is God was always aiming at the heart. It's just that the great promise of Jeremiah is I will give them a new heart. It'll it'll be right there and they will want to do this. They will look at the Old Testament law and think, I could do any of that. If that's what God wants, I'll do that. I'll give him whatever he wants. If he wants all of my flocks, if he wants all of the harvest, if he wants everything, he can have it. This is why Paul says, brothers, I beseech you. Because God is merciful to you. Present your body a living sacrifice. That is the burnt offering. That's everything consumed. You don't get any of it. It's all on the altar. It's just that God's not saying, empty your bank account, sell your house, and give it all to Grace Bible Church. Or, Or give it all to feed hungry Christians in North Africa or Ukraine. He's not telling you to do that. Not yet, anyway. He's saying, no, as I've prospered you, see what you could give. And, 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 and don't even start down this path out of obligation or compulsion. This is supposed to be out of joy and gratitude. And if he lays it on your heart, which is vague, right? If he leads by his spirit, oh, that feels vague too. My pen needs to write a number on the check. I need, I need law. Give me something. Not going to happen. As the Lord leads you to give sacrificially, then so be it. And so we, you know, we know stories, and you've been through this, and you think, you know what? You know, maybe I could do without cable TV for the next six months, or maybe I don't need those subscriptions to that, or maybe I don't need to you know, spend that much money and go to a Chiefs game. Is there anything wrong with watching your history channel or something? Is there anything wrong with reading your favorite magazine? Is there anything wrong with going to the Chiefs game in and of itself? No. Um, there's most of the things in this world fall under the category of God has given us all kinds of stuff to freely enjoy. But just don't bow down to it with your time, with your money. Uh, and even that sounds too much. So, so, Maybe we just say, don't even let it fall into a category of your budget, which looks perfectly reasonable if God's asking you to assign that to a different category. 
to giving. And it gives us that text. What's... Uh, Amen. You're stealing the thunder of the sermon. We're going we're gonna to touch on Philippians 4 because he starts that paragraph with, I rejoice, and his point isn't going to be, you know, that you were used by God to meet my need. I'm sure he smiled at that and had some joy in it, but he unfolds a different answer, uh, the fruit to their account. Um, so what if we gave cheerfully, not of compulsion, not thinking law, or what, what, what if he gave, and, and every time we dropped a check in the box or put it in the offering or sent it to our favorite ministry charity or something, we ended with not just a signature on a check, but thanks be to God, you know, who supplies all of our need in Christ. Like, what could I possibly lack if God has given Christ for me, Romans 8 says, will he not freely give us all things? Like, he's going to take care of us. He has proven that at the cross. So, bring giving into this realm of, of freedom and worship and joy that, boy, God is faithful, so I'm going to give. Because reflecting the image of God, he's a giving God, you know? So, when you sit and enjoy your Chiefs game, because you have freedom to do that, and you might once in a while, it's not as common as you used to see, you know, a poster in the stands of John 3.16. Remember, oh yeah, God is a God who gives. That was the demonstration of his love. So there's law, the law of love in the New Testament, the law of Christ. There it is. It means I, I'm bound to give by a law. It's just a different sense because... This law is one that, that is drawing out of me um, this joy and love in giving rather than this obligation and sense of, I, I have to do this. You know, it's what was commanded. Um, so feel that freedom. Go to Philippians 4. 
and realize Paul's saying there, I've learned how to have nothing and I've learned how to abound. And what's the famous verse that wraps up that paragraph on giving and finances and having or not having? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, you know, contrary to the sweet movie, it wasn't kicking the field goal, you know, in high school as you face your giants of needing to kick field goals. It was, no, given to us in the context of, listen, you can trust God with your needs. God will provide. He'll take care of this. And you can do all things in Christ. You can be the Christian right now in North Africa, wondering if you'll be able to feed your kids today, not a month from now. You can do that through Christ who strengthens you. And you can know how to abound, as all of us have to be able to say in comparison to others. um, You can do that in Christ who strengthens you to not be a, a hoarder and a faithless consumer of how God prospers you. We can do this. So fight against compulsion and fight against selfishness. And in the middle, you'll find freedom and joy in giving. Um, Don't think God's not going to demand much of you. Don't think that's what we mean when we say we're under grace and not law. No, you know, Christ showed us how demanding God's plan can be in serving others. Uh, It may cost you a lot. You might give up a lot more than if you had just said, you know, I'm just going to give my tithe and be faithful to that. That could be the easy way out. Remember, we don't set the limits on this discipleship thing. Jesus just said, you put your hand to the plow and you go. You, You don't look back. So let him define, but remember who's defining, all right? He's good and he's faithful and his promises to you are in Christ he will meet your needs. So Heavenly Father, help us to uh, continue to wrestle through, yes, this idea of giving, but even more importantly, the, uh, the wonder of everything better in Christ. Uh, Christ, the great fulfillment of your promises, the, the great substance of so many Old Testament shadows, uh, great fulfillment. Uh, we rejoice in him. May even our giving reflect our faith and joy in him, we pray this in his name. Amen.